0: Well, Kevin, thank you so much. It's really lovely to be with you this evening. Thank you for your very warm welcome. I don't really know Yorkshire very well at all, but I like it already. So uh, so thank you very, very much for having me tonight. Uh, over the next few days, if, if this might be the only thing you're coming to this um, over these cousin um, and Bradford sessions, but over the next few days, uh, as Kevin said, we're going to be thinking about what it means to be in Christ. We've called this um, stupendous. In fact, actually, you could hit the button a couple of times and... Show us a little bit more, that'd be great. Stupendous, the glorious reality of being in Christ. And I've just been trying to get my head around this idea a little bit more fully over recent months. And I don't really know how successful I've been yet for reasons that that we'll see. But uh, this is just worth thinking about. This really is worth thinking about. It's one of the New Testament's favorite ways of describing what it is to be a Christian, as Kevin's already reminded us, to be in Christ. Uh, not just believing in him or having faith in him or doing things in his name, but the New Testament talks about us actually being in him. And do you find that quite a difficult. I don't think it's one that we use all that often, actually. Being in us. You know that, that bucket in the ocean analogy? You're out to sea, and the sea is God, and, and a bucket's lowered into the ocean, and the bucket is us until it's fully submerged at the end of a rope. And the question is, is the ocean in the bucket or is the bucket in the ocean? And, of course, the answer is it's both. Uh, We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Ocean in bucket, bucket in ocean. I tend to think more of honest about the ocean being in the bucket. God dwelling in me by his spirit. I've just started working for an organization, Cape and Ray Hall, and its, it's, it's great um, distinctive message, which is not distinctive to it at all, really, but its great message has been Christ in you. We're not trying to live for Christ. We're allowing Christ to live his life through us, Christ in us, the hope of, of glory. I tend to think about that more than about uh, the fact that I am in Christ. And so that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time over the next couple of days thinking about, the glorious, stupendous reality of what it means to be in Jesus. Now, you may want to tell me at the end that you don't agree that that we talk about Christ being in us more than we talk about us being in Christ. I think about that more. If you do agree, why do you think it is? Why do you think we might struggle sometimes to think that we are in Christ, if you do? You may not. But if that's a concept you find it harder to get your head around, why is that? Well, speaking personally... For me, it's because we don't often talk about that in human terms, do we? We don't often talk about one person being in another person. And and when we do, and forgive me, this is going to get slightly biological now. Uh, When we do, it's often in incredibly intimate settings. That's true, isn't it? One person is actually in another person. When a, a baby is still in its mother's womb, the child is in its mother. During the act of lovemaking, one human being is in another human being. Uh, And this is oversharing at a very early stage in our relationship, forgive me. But I recently had to have a rather unpleasant intimate examination by my GP. And uh, and for a a moment, my my GP's digit was in me in a fairly unpleasant manner. And I wonder if that's why we actually struggle to talk about what, what it is to be in another Because when when we use those terms of human beings, it is so incredibly intimate. But if you think about it, those are three of the most intimate, loving experiences one human body can have with another, aren't they? The creation of life, the expression of exclusive love, the pursuit of healing. That's what's going on when one human being is in another. And that's the language the Bible uses to describe our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We are in him. It is that intimate. The Bible does use it lots. And Ashley's going to just slash some of these verses up for us. So Jesus says, John 14, 11, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. It's the Father living in me who is doing his work. John 14, verse 11. We are made in the image of the triune God. And within the relationship of Son and Father... That's the language Jesus uses of their relationship with each other. One is in the other. So if we're made in the image of the triune God uh, within the personhood is, is in one another, then that's not surprising that that's the language that will be used of us when we're welcomed into the loving unity of the Trinitarian God. Jesus uses this imagery, doesn't he, as we've just seen. So here's John 14, 20. On that day, he says, and he's talking about the day after the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, you'll realize I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 15, verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is language that Jesus uses. As, as Kevin said, it's, it's some, one of the most common phrases we hear of what it is to be a Christian across the epistles. Paul loves using this phrase. Here are just three examples of the way Paul uses it. Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ, we are justified. Or here's Paul again, a little bit later in Romans. I speak the truth, he says, in Christ. Romans chapter 9 verse 1. Uh, We're sanctified, because we're in Christ. Our our language becomes truthful because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one more again in Romans twelve, verse five. In Christ we, Paul says, though many, form one body. Why are we one together as believers? And we'll be thinking about this later over the over the sessions, these sessions. Well, we're unified because we are in Christ. We're justified because we're in Christ. We're sanctified. Because we're in Christ, we are unified because we're in Christ. This is everything. It's remarkable. However, being in Christ, so I hope we're persuaded, and I know as a, a bunch of people as well-taught as you don't need persuading of this. Persuade persuaded that it's biblical. This kind of language is biblical. It's not always easy, is it? I, I guess it's like many biblical truths. You can paddle in this truth or you can drown in it. It is both simple enough for a child, and it's both complicated enough to fuel a million PhD theses. Uh, The mystery, Calvin said, and we've got this quote on the screen, the mystery of being in Christ is by its nature incomprehensible, John Calvin said. The mystery of being in Christ is by its nature incomprehensible. So I have no ambitions of, of plumbing the depths of this doctrine over these next couple of days. Uh, it's, I think we're just going to perhaps just glimpse some facets of this incredible reality that we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's going to be a mystery. And we know that from the scriptures, don't we? Colossians 3.3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, there's going to be a hiddenness. There's going to be some degree of mystery to what it means for us to be in Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Now we see only reflection as in a mirror, and then we'll, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. We're not going to get to the bottom of this. 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be hasn't yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But would you pray with me over these next couple of days that we're going to, just get a little bit more full a grasp of what it is for us to be enjoying this incredible truth. You and I, tonight, if we're Christians, are in Christ. I was really helped to get my head around this by an illustration I came across. It's in a book by uh, an Australian called Rory Shiner, and the book is called One Forever. And, um, and, uh, the quote's on the screen, but let me just give you a little run into it. This is so We'll come to this bit in a minute, but here, here's how he runs into this. He's talking about what it is to be in Christ. And Shiner says this, to be fair, it's just a hard idea to get your head around. I mean, what does it exactly mean to be in Christ, or for that matter, to be in anyone? If someone tells me I follow Christ, I get that. If someone tells me I'm under Christ, yep, I know what it means to be under someone. Saved by Christ, got it. Inspired by him, check, and so on. These are concepts I understand. Christ as a leader or as a Lord or a Savior. But in Christ almost seems to portray Jesus as a place or a sphere or a location. How does that work? He says this. Imagine yourself at the airport. Can you do that? About to board a plane. The plane's on its way to sunny Melbourne and Melbourne is where you want to be. What relationship do you need to have with the plane at this point? And here's where we pick the quote up on the screen. Would it help to be under the plane, to submit yourself to the plane's eminent authority in the whole flying to Melbourne thing? Would it help to be inspired by the plane, to watch it fly off and whisper, "One day, I hope to do that too." What about following the plane? You know the plane's going to Melbourne, so it stands to reason that if you take note of the direction it goes and you pursue it, then you too will end up there. Of course, the key relationship you need with the plane is not to be under it or behind it or inspired by it. You need to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. The question: Did you get to Melbourne? Or be part of a longer, of a larger question: Did the plane get to Melbourne? And if the answer to the second question is yes, and you were in the plane, then what happened to the plane will also have happened to you. China says, I think at heart, the biblical idea of being in Christ is something like that. According to the New Testament, to be in Christ is to say that by union with him, whatever is true of him is now true of us. He died, we died. He's raised We are and will be raised. He's vindicated, we're vindicated. He's loved, we're loved. And so on, all because we are in him. Don't you love that? Isn't that amazing? I found that so helpful. So helpful. Where he goes, I go. Because I am in him. What he has been through, I go through. Because I am in him. Where he is now... Seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. I am now because I am in him. And as we'll, see, as we'll see, nothing can separate me from the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to just think over the next couple of days about just some of the implications of what that means. That's why I think if, if we should be anything to this world, if we're going to be salt and light in this world, we are going to be people who have this rock-solid certainty that we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and all the incredible blessings and truths and security that is going to flow from that. Just a a couple of things to clear the decks before we just jump in a little bit more. Uh, Here's something it doesn't mean when we say uh, I'm in Christ. It doesn't mean I do nothing. It doesn't mean that. The danger of the illustration is that once we're in Christ, that's it. Do you know that moment where you, you're going on holiday or you're going on a work trip and you've, you've done the whole airport thing? You've had the journey to the airport. You've parked the car. You've, you've, um, you've got through check-in. You've got through security. You've got through duty-free. You've got through the boarding gate. You've found your seat. You've managed to cram your bag into the overhead locker because you don't want to pay to put it in the hold. And, uh, and you sit down in the seat and you go, ah, oh, finally. Do you remember that, you have that feeling? I don't have to do anything now. It's all somebody else's job now. I don't have to do anything. And the danger of of, uh, an overemphasis of this doctrine is, is, is the way it does capture the security and the confidence that we can have in Christ. But the illustration doesn't capture so well the discipleship reality of challenge and struggle and effort and striving. That within ultimate rest... The Bible does actually talk of so Hebrews chapter uh, 4 verse 3 is lovely it's this beautiful idea isn't it that when we've come into the Lord Jesus Christ we enter into his rest and that's absolutely true but we've also got verses like 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 haven't we remember before God our Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ this doctrine should give us this incredible security and this incredible sense of ultimate peace and rest. But it should liberate us, not to inactivity, but to just this glorious free labor uh, for the service of the Lord Jesus. So being in Christ doesn't mean I do nothing, and being in Christ doesn't mean either that I stop being me. It doesn't mean that either. Becoming one with Jesus is not the sort of oneness a raindrop experiences when it hits the ocean. It's not a complete loss of any sense of distinctiveness or identity or individuality. If you want the technical term for that, it's called monism. Uh, We're one with Jesus in a sense of completeness and we're one with Jesus in a sense of purpose. But we're not one with Jesus in the sense of sameness or becoming indistinguishable from him. A lock and a key are united in purpose but they remain distinct a husband and a wife become united as one flesh but they retain their individuality and their distinctiveness uh, so in Christ we encounter the one who's distinct to us but the one who just corresponds so beautifully with us so that's that's just a little intro to what it is to be in Christ why i've just got so excited by this topic why I'm just really thrilled that we can talk about it a little bit before. Ashley, just move us on a little bit, if you would, sir. That would be great. Um, this is Peter Lewis, and Lewis says this. There is a life of adventure before us when we are in Christ. And if we could just scratch a little bit of the surface of that over these next two days, that would be great. Ashley, thanks. P- take us on. Yeah, we've done that. Um, great. So let's, let's think about what it means. In Christ... Uh, what does it mean? We're going to do um, five things over the next couple of days. And here they are. So tonight, just for a few minutes before we finish this evening, we're going to think about what it is to be in Christ. We are unshakably safe. Then tomorrow, and these are in brackets because, as Kevin said, we do not want you not going to your own churches tomorrow. Okay, Please don't do that. Go to where you normally go. But if you're here tomorrow morning, we're going to be thinking about, in Christ, we are immeasurably loved. Uh, Tomorrow night, Church on the Way, in Christ, we're fully equipped. And then Monday and Tuesday night, we're back here. In Christ, we're utterly transformed. And in Christ, we are united as one. Uh, we could have picked 20 themes, but I just, I just went for those five. That's where we're going to be going. So just for a few minutes tonight, let's think about this first one. Let's think about this first one. In Christ, we are unshakably safe. Unshakably safe. Um. I did a, uh, a ropes course, a high ropes course recently with some of the guys from, from our church. Anyone done a high ropes course? Anyone go eight or anything like that? I hate heights. It was, it was a kind of team building exercise that I think was in part designed just to torture me. It was that kind of team, team building. And, um, and the, the thing that the, the girl who was coaching us at the start said was this. You're going to be fine if you stay attached to the rope. All, all the way through, there's this kind of, it's actually a bit of steel cable that runs right across the whole course. And she said, as long as you're attached, you're safe. That's it, isn't it? If we're in Christ, we are just unshakably safe. Uh, here's Romans eight thirty-five to 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Romans 8, verse 35. that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're safe, safe, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the slides that Ashley very helpfully just skimmed through there was describing the kind of Bible study we're doing this week. Uh, over these next couple of days. You know, you can do a thing called um, biblical studies. That's where you'll be in one passage of scripture for quite a long time. We're not doing that over the next couple of days. You can do biblical theology. That's a kind of overview of the Bible, Genesis through to Revelation. You get uh, a sense of the Bible's storyline. We're not doing biblical theology over the next couple of days. What we're going to do is what the theologians sometimes call systematic theology. And that's looking at what the whole Bible says about one theme. So we're not going to be rooted in one particular passage for very long. We're going to be trying to get, get a spread of the Bible's wider teaching on the theme of what it is to be in Christ and these particular themes as we go through, just, just in case it helps you to know the kind of thing we're doing. So actually, let's skip on back through. We're, we're unshakably safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you do this for a moment? Just, just turn to the person next to you for a minute. Tell them the name of the street you live on And tell them if you know why your street is called what it's called. The name of the street you live on, do you know why your street is called what it's called? Just do that for one minute. Go. Thank you. Did we get anything interesting there? Anyone got anything interesting? Anyone learn anything interesting? Any interesting street names out there? I don't believe York's just that dull. <laughs> come come now. <laughs> uh, when we were in Exeter, and my wife is, is still down there actually, she's joining me later in the summer when her job finishes. Um, we live on a street next to Gordon Road, and it's named after Gordon of Khartoum, General Gordon. Of, of Khartoum, which is not, I think, the best person to have a name, a street named after, but never mind. Uh, but uh, but here's, here's some street names. I think we're going to get some pictures of these up on the screen. Uh, what would we like to live on any of these streets? Have we got these up, Ashley? Some street names, some photos? No, don't worry. Keep, that's it. How do you fancy living on S- Slack Bottom Road? Or what about uh, Dumb Woman's Lane? Don't want to know why that was called that. Uh, we we have um, a, a town near us, next to called uh, Totnes, and Totnes has got a reputation for being a bit alternative. Did someone say hippie? <laughs> someone knows Totnes, uh, <laughs> and uh, and people people um, graffiti the Totnes street signs, and especially the, the 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 signs coming into town. So here's the historic borough of Totnes, twinned with, and someone's. X over where it is twinned with them. Area 51, Nevada. Or how about this one? The historic birth of Totnes, twinned with Narnia. Here's the incredible truth. We've, we, if you're a Christian tonight, we have, we've moved location. Language of being in Christ is location language, isn't it? It's, it's location language before it's relational language. We're going to hear a lot about relational language of what it is to be in Christ. But before we think about the fact it means we're loved, it's about location. We've, we've moved location. So I, I used to say I live in Devon, and now I say I, I live in Lancashire. We've moved location. And the Bible talks about conversion being a location shift. Just before that glorious passage uh, describing where we are now, Paul had described where we had all been living we used to be in a desperately dangerous place it was the place of sin and death so he says in Romans 5 verse 12 sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned and he picks that idea up again in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says this death came through a man in Adam all die so my location used to be in Adam uh, when he rebelled, I was implicated. Where he was, alienated from God and dead in his sin, that's where I was. And it's slightly odd language again, isn't it? What does it mean for us to be in Adam? But it does work, of course, doesn't it? In the, in the same way, I guess, we were all in our human ancestors. My great-granddad, some I'm reliably informed, moved from Ireland to Scotland in the late 19th century. And of course, I wasn't there, but in a sense, I kind of was there, wasn't I? In a sense, I was in my great-granddad. And where he went, that had implications for my future location. And I think it's that same kind of deal. Uh, Where Adam went, we all went. His location became our location. We were in Adam. We were dead in sin and rebellion. But here's the great news. We've moved. We have moved from being in Adam to being in our other great ancestor. We've moved to being in Christ. And that's an amazing place to be. And Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5. Here's the amazing truth. Jesus is the center of of God's reconciling work. So here's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God is pulling the world back to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of God's reconstruction of the cosmos because of the sin of the world. We've been uh, rebuilding our house recently. I think we might have some pictures of this coming up as well so our house in Exeter we're not going to sell it when we move up to Cape and Ray because there's a house provided we're going to keep it and let it but it was a mess the back of the house was just a shambles so we last year we knocked down pretty much the whole of the back the ground floor back of the house to rebuild it and our house became a building site we were still trying to live in it we went for the best part of nine months without a kitchen it was it was by first world standards, it was difficult. And that's what it looked like. So you might see that huge, great big hole there. That's my wife. Uh, that was my wife, Penny. And then and then it became a kind of building site, as this next picture shows. It became a building site. You know what a building site's like? It's a mess, but little by little, stuff starts to be put back together. A building site becomes the restoration of order. That which was broken is being fixed. And that what was that, that which was out of place is being connected. And gradually, that, that which is filthy starts to get cleaned up on a building site. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God's reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And before saying that, Paul has told us where we are. We're in Christ. And Christ is the site of God's new creation. In Christ is the site of God's restoration And I have moved right into that location. I've moved from death close to Resurrection Avenue. And you have too. We've moved from being in Adam, sin, death, dislocation, mess, dirt, chaos, death, to being in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've moved from Death Avenue to Resurrection Street. And it's just a a beautiful thing. So Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-18. If anyone is in Christ, the new creations come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Have you read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Or or maybe you've seen the movie. If if you know it, do you remember that bit where Aslan invades the queen of Narnia's castle and she breathes upon the statues she's turned to stone uh, in uh, sorry Aslan he breathes upon the statues that the queen has turned to stone and he and one of the things he breathes upon is uh, is a lion and and here's here's a quote for a second the stone lion looked the same that Aslan breathes on it and a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back and then it spread and then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks a bit of paper And then the lion shook his mane and all the heavy, stony folds rippled into living hair. And then, having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking around him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. That's what it is to be in Christ. The place where God reconciles the world to himself. In Christ. Old has gone and new has come reconciled to the Father through the Son, sharing in that ministry of reconciliation, alongside him, in him, as hearts of stone, get turned to hearts of flesh. We're just in this incredible place. 1 Corinthians 15, if you've got your Bibles, just flick over with that, or just follow it on the screen if you prefer. 1 Corinthians 15:20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We're in an amazing place. Uh, Christian life is location shift from being in Adam to being in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in reconciliation central. We're part of an incoming resurrection harvest of which the Lord Jesus Christ was just the first fruit. You and I are the advanced guard of this great cosmic restoration that's coming. God is going to reconcile the whole material world to himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our new life in Christ is part of the coming kingdom. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And our movement from being in Adam is part of that process. We've been liberated from bondage to decay. And and we're, we're part of this great first fruit That the world is is just longing to see. Uh, Rory Shiner puts it like this in that book we were talking about. He says this. It's as if every time someone responds to the gospel. The rest of creation gasps in anticipation. Saying to itself, one more. Our freedom draws closer. It may all look rather fragile. But if at that moment they've been included in Christ. The cosmos has moved with them so brothers and sisters this is objective reality this is where we are this is how safe we are we are unshakably safe we were in in adam and now we are in the lord jesus christ we've moved from the place of rebellion and sin and death to the place of rescue and forgiveness and hope and restoration and fulfillment in christ it's a real objective place before Jesus is a relationship, before he's an experience, he's a place. And that is such good news, isn't it? For our sense of safety. Larry Crabb once wrote a book about the church called The Safest Place on Earth. And the only reason the church could be the safest place on earth is because together as church we're in Christ. We're in the safest place on earth. I have, um, I'm going I'm to finish with a story and a question. I have a. Here's the story. I had a neighbour down in Exeter uh, called Duncan, and uh, Duncan. We, we live in number nine. Duncan lives at number three with his wife and family, and Duncan um, is a non-Christian. Was a non-Christian, and I, I'd been praying for Duncan, befriending him as a neighbour for probably for five years, and once a month I would go down the pub with Duncan just for a drink, and we'd schedule it in, so we always did it, um, just just to form a friendship. And we just started talking about our lives and our hopes and our dreams and our sadnesses and our sorrows and, and everything. And, um, and Duncan was, in lots of ways, he looked like his life was fantastic, pretty good job, lovely wife, two lovely kids, nice house. Just His life was going great, but inside he was just dark, just, just, just a mess, really seeking for, for something. And um, just before Christmas, it was, it was late November, we were in the pub and he said to me, Oh, Derek, if God really wanted me to become a Christian, why has he given me this questioning spirit? If he wanted me to become a Christian, he would just have, have made me the kind of person that says yes. And something inside me just snapped, and I, I just lost it a little bit. And I said to him, Duncan, your problem is you're just a rebel. You're just a rebel. You, you, we've talked about every objection you have to the Christian faith. You, you know that this is true. You know this is true. And and this this latest excuse is just one more reason for you to avoid God. Why don't you just admit it? You're just a rebel. Don't blame it on God. Blame your rebellion on yourself. At least have the integrity to do that. I'm not normally quite that forthright in my evangelistic conversations, but I did that night. And I went home, and I can remember just kneeling by my bed and just praying for this guy. Lord, this is going to be, as ever with a conversion, it's a miracle of you cracking open a human heart. Next week, I was actually up at Cape and Ray lecturing, and I got a text mid-lecture from the guy in our church who runs our seeker course, which was running on a Tuesday night. And I've been trying to get Duncan to go to this thing for years, and he never would. And Clive, my, my colleague, just texted me and said, guess who's just walked in? Duncan had walked in. And, um, and that night, at the end of that meeting, he, he talked to Clive, and he said to him, I think everybody else in this meeting tonight was looking for reasons not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to the point where I want to have a reason to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Clive gives him, um, I think he gives him Journey into Life, or, or one of those book that says, read it, go home, pray it, pray the prayer at the end. Duncan does that, goes home, prays the prayer that night, and asks Jesus Christ into his life. And, uh, uh, and, and I heard all this remotely up at Cape and Ray, and it's just fantastic. So I get back, and, and, and we start meeting, still on the, start meeting weekly now on a Thursday. And Duncan says, I, I, I did what you're supposed to do. I had all these little tracts about how to help a new Christian and books about what to do when you're a new Christian. And Duncan said to me, can I just read the Bible? I've got this great thirst to read the Bible. Well, okay. I, su- I suppose you could do that if you wanted to. So he starts reading the New Testament, and he just, he, he just reads his way through the New Testament, um, and every week we'd meet, and he would just have written down a load of questions, and he would ask me the questions, and I would do my best to answer them. Uh, and he would often say, I've got a question. I think it means this. Is this right? And normally he was right. The Holy Spirit was doing this incredible job of us leading him to, to biblical truth. Just remarkable. And then this happens. We, we live on a terrace, and um, there's a little passageway where you put your bins out, and then backing onto that passageway is the back of other another terrace. You know the way in in city centres you've got terraces and so you're backing onto each other. The house that backed onto Duncan's was a house owned by a mental health charity and they were running it as a halfway house for guys who'd been sectioned under the Mental Health Act who'd recovered well enough to come into supported accommodation. So the house was always full of young men recovering from severe mental illness. And one night, one of these guys was having a very bad night and he'd, he'd had a bout of severe manic depression that was manifesting itself as paranoia. Some of you will, will know these kinds of conditions well. And this guy became convinced that Duncan and his family were spying on him. So they, this guy had taken bricks off, his, off the back wall of his house and he was throwing them at Duncan's back wall. And these bricks were bouncing off Duncan's kids' bedroom windows. So, so Duncan calls the police, goes out, does his best to calm the guy down. The police arrive, subdue him. Calm is restored. Duncan comes back in, emails me and says, could you pop round? I'd like to talk to you about the situation. How do I respond? So I go around. And Duncan says, okay, I'm reading my New Testament. Um, Jesus says, I should love my enemies. Now, a guy throwing bricks at my kid's bedroom windows, I think I can probably categorize him as an enemy. Is that right? Yeah. I'm going to love him. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So Duncan says, so I'm I'm not going to press charges. Uh, What I'm going to do tomorrow is ring the charity, tell them what's happened, and ask them how I can best help this guy. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to go around and give him a hard time. Uh, What what I want to do is is love this guy. He's clearly in huge distress. I just want to work out the very best way to help him as his neighbor. He's my neighbor. Jesus says I have to love my neighbor as myself. Is that right? yes 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 Duncan that's that's right he this new convert is proclaiming the hope and the life and the restoration and the reconciliation that the whole cosmos is one day going to experience he was he was shattered he was in bits and in Christ he's come onto the building site and God is putting him back together And he's moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. And in Christ means he's reconciled and he becomes a minister of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians verse 5. He starts to be used by Jesus to put other people together as well. And it's rooted in an objective truth, a reality. His life has been relocated. He's now in the safest place on earth. He was in Adam. And now he's in Christ, and nothing in all creation is going to shake him out of his new home. Now, I said that we're going to finish with a story and a question. Here's the question, and we'll finish with this, and then our brilliant musicians are going to come. Is that right? And Close for us? Yes. You, brilliant was right. No, there's no question about that. Uh, um, let's, let's, can, can you find these questions, Ashley? You can just flick through, and I'll tell you when to stop. Or has it frozen? Right, here we, that's great. So here are the questions. Do you ask yourself this question? How close to God am I right now? Do you ever, do you ever say that? We did, we did a little survey with the students about what their biggest, Cape students, what their biggest spiritual struggle is. And the number one spiritual struggle for Cape students at the moment is this. They don't feel close to God, they say. They don't feel close to God. They don't feel an emotional intimacy with God. And and it's a valid question, isn't it? How close to God am I right now? But it's it's a different question to the question they're asking, which is, how close to God do I feel right now? Those are two different questions, aren't they? How close do I feel to God is a different question to how close to God are you? And as I get older and older, I find that second question... Less and less interesting, actually, and less and less relevant. I'm in Christ. How, I, how close I feel to the Lord Jesus actually matters, not a jot, because I cannot get any closer to Christ than I already am. By the Holy Spirit, I'm in him, the beloved Son of the Divine Father. I'm in him whether I feel like I'm in Christ or not it's an objective reality i just am in jesus i'm in the safest place possible i'm in him not by my work or by my efforts i'm in him by christ's efforts which are finished and perfect so all i am is in the lord jesus christ and one of the stories of my christian life is i've i've just reached a level of greater emotional peacefulness as my mind has been transformed by the absolute rock-solid certainty that I am in Jesus. I know Hebrews 10.22 tells us to draw near to God, but that whole passage is rooted in the objective reality that we are already near to God in Christ Jesus. It's a command to enjoy and enter into the reality. So maybe as we finish tonight, We could just uh, finish by asking ourselves this question How close do you feel at the moment to the Lord Jesus? And how close are you to the Lord Jesus? And which of those two questions is actually the more important? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for just the incredible privilege of uh, having heard and received and believed the gospel. Thank you that because of the Lord Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, we are forgiven and we are accepted and we are received into the Godhead itself. Thank you that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and makes his home in us by his Holy Spirit. The ocean fills us. But thank you too that, uh, that we are in you. And I pray that for all of us we would just have a fresh sense of our security and our safety. A fresh sense that where the Lord Jesus Christ has gone through death and out the other side, we're going. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is now, seated at your right hand in glory, That's where we are now as well and that these truths are unshakably true and nothing in all creation can separate us from your love in Christ. So I pray that tonight we'd go out with just joy and hope and that we would be people who can just show others what it looks like to be in the creator of the cosmos. Do your reconciling, restoring work in us. Do it through us, even tonight. We pray in your precious name. Amen.
1: No power of hell,
0: no scheme of man can ever, ever, ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. I'm unshakably safe because here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Let's say the grace to each other, shall we, and call down the Trinity. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you. Good night. Please stay and uh, fellowship and have some refreshments with us. And thank you also to these guys for the music. Thank you.